welcome to Canine Top Tales. I am your host, Sonia Nordstrom, a retired special agent of the FBI and a 26-year canine handler and trainer. This episode is the second in a series of interviews that will be highlighting the consultants and instructors for American Tactical Aggregate Canine. These are real-deal, top-tier tactical canine handlers and trainers with experience and knowledge that is second to none. So, before moving forward to the interview, just a quick FYI. During this interview, you will hear some knocking noises. These are the result of emphatic taps on the table by my guest. So, please bear with it and join me for this chat with former U.S. Army Special Operations Command operator, handler, and trainer, Shannon Krieger. Shannon, welcome to Canine Top Tales. And I'd love for you to actually introduce yourself and your history and just how you, there's so much to tell in that story, but I think it's better having the introduction of you come from you. Well, thank you, Sonia, and, and I'm very happy to be here. So, introduce myself. My name is Shannon Krieger. I was uh, a, a canine trainer, handler canine trainer, from the end of 1998 till about 2011 or 2012 for United States Army Special Operations Command. Uh, and it was uh, during, you know, a, a time when having a canine in the military was extremely important because dogs were extremely busy in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a really good opportunity to, to be in the canine world at that time. And how did that start ramping up? Because we all have heard of military working dogs. They were in World War One. they were in World War Two. they were in Vietnam, but this is a different echelon of dog, right? Yes, it is. Um, so around, this is all pre 9-11, 19, say, let's say early 1998, uh, a, a guy first, uh, for SOCOM, Special Operations Command. His name is Pat McCauley, came up with an idea. He had an idea about using canines for a specific task that, uh, that unfortunately I can't talk about, but that, that task, we, we had all kinds of holes in it uh, as far as some of the techniques and tactics that we were trying to use to solve these problems. And he thought that a dog would be a great addition, would be a great multiplier to this specific task. So he told another guy, and that guy was Alan Miller, and they worked at the same unit, and uh, they both started, you know, putting their heads together and trying to figure out, you know, how you could use a dog to solve the problem. Um, and when it came up with a solution, they had to next sell the solution to the command. Um, and if you're starting anything, you just can't, you know, hey, here's a great idea, give me a bunch of money and let me run with it. It just doesn't work that way. So um, so these two guys, let me just say Pat and Allen, uh, decided that they, they would do all of the research, they would figure out who was doing it already and what they were doing we went to you know they went to various militaries around the globe to figure out who was using dogs how were they using them and could we use them in, in the specific task that they were trying to target um when they finally did that you you in the in the military you have to have an officer involved 
at some point, if you're starting something, you've got to have an officer involved. And they went to a, 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 a colonel. Um, let's just call him Colonel Pete. Um, he listened to, to, to what they were proposing and decided that it was worth pushing forward up the chain of command to get you know to get the, the his commander to sign off on it so so you could get funding and start talking about logistics and and to really begin a proof of concept uh so when pat and alan spoke to each other about it then they asked somebody else and that person wasn't interested and then they came to me and they basically told me what they were doing and I, for some strange, you know, not, not a strange reason, but I, I just kind of saw it. Uh, it made perfect sense to me uh, about using military working dogs for what we, were, what we wanted to use them for. Um, and and the, the little known secret here is that the task that we got approval to get the dogs for was really not the real reason we wanted dogs there. It's a foot in the door. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a foot in the door because because these guys, you know, Pat and Alan both knew, and I, and I both knew that once we got them there, and once we showed everybody what really we were we were thinking about, and what really they could do, that you know the strong belief that you could develop a canine for direct action and for counterterrorism. So in terms of a timeline, why would they have come to you as far as your background? And well, dogs, like why, why were you the receptive person? I, I was a volunteer as soon as I, I heard about it. You know, they, they, it was pretty much you're sitting in, in you know, in, in your area, you're sitting in your team area. And, and the next thing you know, you're hearing, hey, man, they're talking about trying to get dogs. They're doing this, doing that. And, and I, as, as soon as I heard it, I volunteered for it um, about when I was just out of, just actually in high school, I was graduating high school, um, I went to a, this demonstration that the local police were putting on with their dogs. And they asked for volunteers to get in a bite suit. And I just, when I saw it, I had to do it because I thought that was just the coolest thing in the world. And, uh, and, and I, I volunteered and, you know, took bites and then tried to, you know, anytime that they needed any kind of help, I ended up becoming friends with one of the guys, one of the canine officers in the sheriff's office. And anytime he would, you know, need somebody to take a bite, I was happy to do it. Uh, I, I ended up going to college. I went to Florida State. So, uh, I, and I, I played tennis there and, you know, didn't really have much of a canine career or, or you know, much, much contact with dogs. Uh, like right before I was leaving, I'm originally from Louisiana and the Louisiana State Dog is a Catahoula Leopard Hound. And I had a friend of mine who had a, a farm and he had all these puppies running around and I would drive from Tallahassee back to, Slot, back to New Orleans, Slidell area, go to the farm and he just let me have whatever puppy I wanted and I'd bring puppies back to Florida and a couple of, uh, the, the, the girl I happened to be seeing at the time worked at a horse stable. And we put a bunch of Catahoulas there and they started hurting. You know, they were just because they're herder, you know, healers too. And, and the next thing you know, I'm getting people asking me to bring more Catahoulas in. And that sort of kind of pushed me back into, you know, just kind of reminded me about how much I really wanted to be around a dog and ended up 
you know, volunteering or, you know, enlisting in the army, going to the first range of battalion, spending about five years there, and then went to special operations command selection and made it. So 1998 rolls around and I am looking at these two guys that, you know, were senior, you know, basically people that I worked for, mentors to me, and they were asking for volunteers about talking about a canine program. So it just, you know, it was a, one of the more natural things I could ever think of. I mean, my hand went up as soon as I heard about it because it just, like I said, it just made sense. Uh, I saw that, you know, what, what they were looking at. And, and also in my head, it, 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 we just, it was just so much more that I thought we could do with what we were, you know, dealing with. And again, this was pre-9-11. So there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, deployment. There, there was always deployments, but... Uh, you know, the only thing that was really going on that was of any worth was, you know, stuff going on in Bosnia. And, um, you know, we ended up doing, you know, doing some stuff over there and, and, and working. And having a dog, uh, you know, this, this proof of concept sort of became official at the end of, you know, end of 98, 1999. And, and we went through four canines to make two. And, and, you know, this program was, you know, basically born and, and, and there and we had it. Uh, there were three of us initially involved and it's sort of, you know, as, as Pat, if, as it got further along, Pat, you know, was a senior enlisted guy. He he got busy and sort of stepped back to do, you know, other great things. And uh, Alan and I, you know, took the reins from, you know, for the next year or two. And basically our marching orders were go out in the world and find out who the best dog guys are, who the best vendors are, figure out what we need to do, how many dogs we need, uh, who's going to handle them, who we're going to buy them from, all of this stuff, and, and, and make it work. So that brings me to my next question. So now you've, you've got the funding, you've got the okay, and you got to find dogs. Yes. And obviously your research brought you to these various people that would be good leads for finding dogs, but your mind what you needed versus the the experienced vendor or people that are guiding you what they think you needed how did that all kind of come together so so when you start a program you got to have it three things have to happen number one you got to have good people involved the second thing is you got to have the logistics and the support behind it and the third thing is timing there's got to be a catalyst in there that that really makes everything go forward and, and when we started talking to people, we went to law enforcement because law enforcement in our minds were the only people that were doing what we thought in our minds we would be using these dogs for. And, you know, we went, we went all over the world. Uh, you know, I, I ran into, I met, I, I sort of became the face of the program because I was always traveling, always going out, going to Indiana, going to California, went to Colorado, went to Arizona, went to New York, went, you know, South Carolina, went to all of these places, you know, basically just looking at kennels all over the country, going to them, visiting them, you know, uh, walking in there, making a phone call, introducing myself without really telling them who I was and just trying to figure out uh, who would help us, you know, who could give us what we were looking for. And I think in the end of the, you know, into the 90s, in you know 2000 time period 
at some point or another, if you have a working dog, you're going to go to Indiana and go to Von Lake Kennel with Kenny Licklider, who's, you know, an absolute legend in the canine world. And we ended up there through, uh, through some contacts with the Secret Service and, uh, you know, for a, name, a, a guy named Brian Mowry, who, who's their canine guy. And we started sifting through what we considered to be the good people the not so good people, the people that we thought we could help, that could help us. And, and that's kind of, you know, where we ended up uh, with, with our canine selection was, you know, what kind of dog are we looking for? Well, we kind of had a thought in our head, but what was being used out there uh, in, in law enforcement was this big, tough, mean, you know, hammer, manhunting killer dog. And, and so that's sort of what we went with initially. And uh, wow, did, did, we, did, did we sort of change our mind over the years? A, a really specific evolution began. And uh, you know, again, that timing port portion was when 9-11 kicked off, we had basically already hit the ground running. But after that, it, it just pumped us up to light speed uh, as far as trying to start a program and get it, you know, out of proof of concept phase and get operational dogs. Um, we had had some successes in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, it was, you know, with 9-11 and there was just so much going on that, you know, sometimes it would get put on hold and sometimes it would, it, it would you know, fit the plan. So we just, so I kind of wrote it down as we went along, learned as we went, uh, you know, speaking with, you know, the various subject matter experts in the field. Uh, we went from, you know, buying the, I remember we bought our first group of dogs from Kenny Licklider and Von Kennel, and they were all these, you know, big pretty mouths and Dutch shepherds with drive through the roof and, you know, want to hammer a guy and, you know, just, just big, strong, you know, Malinois, you know, machines. You know, we call them flashbangs with teeth. <laughs> uh, and and over the years, we started, you know, as time went on, we started to realize that the particular dog that we were selecting wasn't necessarily the best job for what we wanted them to do because as time went, you know, went on, the canine selection started to change, but the TTPs began to... To, to morph into, you know, more and more of what, you know, what this program was becoming. How, how receptive were the operators that you were integrating with? Well, when we first started, they, they, we, they thought we were the, we were the kind of the laughing stock, you know, we, they'd bark at us walking in the halls and, you know, make fun of us and, you know, throw a tennis ball, you know, at you or something like that. Um, the kindness of friends. <laughs> yeah, but I think you get that with anything new, in, in in a in a place where, you know, sometimes change is embraced. Uh, but when you work when you work in special operations command, that out of out of the box thinking, that type of thinking to to go outside of, of your comfort zone, is is not only reinforced but it's rewarded, and and when you get a hold of something that everybody can benefit from, like like canines. Uh, it was, you know, we, it, it became the most popular program, startup program after 9/11, because when you, when we started conducting operations all over you know, that that particular theater, 
um, the dogs became extremely important. Um, it wasn't so bad in the early years uh, of, of the wars, but as they progressed from Afghanistan to Iraq, it became very, very important to have a dog on a target. And not just, we didn't rate success by having a dog on a target. We rated success by having a dog on a target saving lives, saving officer lives, saving operator lives, um, doing things because there was such these big gaps in, 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 our, in our TTPs when, when, when things, when bullets started flying, canine came over the radio really quickly. And being able to you know, root out and, and search for and find that unseen bad guy was uh, was a really, really big deal. And, and bombs. And yes, and, and absolutely, and explosives. Um, and, you know, that kind of leads into what we, we had dual purpose dogs. Uh, they were basically patrol dogs and, and bomb dogs. Um, and, you know, I was, I had, I had morphed from being an early dog handler to being a, a canine trainer. Uh, shortly after 9-11, we were involved in the retaliatory strike in Afghanistan. And on a follow-on operation, I was in a helicopter crash. And it sort of cut my military career short. Uh, and I actually, you know, was a dog handler at that time. Just didn't have a dog with me on that particular operation. Thank goodness. Um, but uh, his name was Arco. And uh, he was a Mal. And he was, you know, he was my guy. He was my buddy. And it was it wasn't funny, but it was the biggest relief when I was sitting in, in, in the army hospital, you know, in, in a forward location. Uh, the guys brought Arco in, you know, and I'm all you know banged up and laid up, but he just came, you know, put his feet right on the edge of the bed, and and you know, it, my everything changed, you know, for me. It became, you know, he was. I had realized that you know it's not only just my partner, but he's you know he's my friend, my guy, he's my dude. <laughs> And you know, it just made me feel better. It really did. Um, and and I'll never, you know, I won't be able to thank those guys enough for for just you know, hey, let's bring the dog in, you know, and, and let Shannon see his dog. Did he end up going with another handler? Interestingly, or were you able to stay with him? Interestingly sometime? enough, when when I, I I was medically retired, and and they I, I was yeah, I was very I was treated very well and, and so calm. And, uh, it was not a minor injury. No, a I lost. I, I, I had a, the helicopter skit. I, I ended up underneath a, a, an, an MH6 Little Bird, and the skid was across my body. Uh, and, you know, coincidentally, Alan Miller, the, you know, my, my dog guy, dog friend and mentor supervisor, was on the other side of the airplane when, when it went down. So he and I went down together. Uh, and his dog was actually in country as well. Uh, just at another location, so uh, I, I had, yeah I, I had had some severe uh, left arm issues and, and pelvis and hip problems and uh, a lot of nerve damage and ended up you know and that happened like early late '01 so by 2004 I, I was becoming a civilian uh, and, and and that was a really really hard decision for me to make. Because I didn't want to leave the army, because especially as to what was going on, uh, and I thought, you know, thought and thought and waited and postponed and pushed and shoved and kicked, and finally it was, look, you're not going to get promoted, you're you're on a permanent profile, you're sort of really kind of broken, um, but you know you can do other things, you know, and and we can protect you, 
And, you know, at that particular time, whoever the commander was, I was at his, you know, back in, at his leisure. So if, if I needed, if he wanted me to go, I, I would have gone. I don't know if that ever would have been a problem, but it's not something that you make a life decision on a career, you know, professional career decision. So I, I elected to, to medically retire, but I had a, you know, they, they had created another position for me as a canine trainer, as a full-time dog guy. And I mean, that's really what did it was, you know, I didn't, I didn't leave. I was in Iraq as an active duty guy. And then two days later I retired and I was still in Iraq and I became a civilian. And, uh, and we were there working, you know, working the dogs and, and you know, training and having fun. And, and dogs became, you know, started to get really popular. And, and as the, the risk factor went up, the number, you know, operationally, the number of dogs that we began to use increased tremendously. So we went from, say, four to make two. Then we bought an additional five. Then we bought an additional 12. And the next thing you know, we're looking at over, you know, 25 plus dogs. And, you know, we barely had a kennel facility at the time. And we're triggered, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to, we need to man these. We're manning them with volunteers. Uh, so that we had to go through that process and the process of, you know, where are we putting them? How are we supporting them? How are we transporting them? All of the logistics that comes into that from purchasing a dog, wherever you're purchasing them to getting the dog on a target operationally and everything in between that, which is a boatload of logistics we had to figure out. Well, on that note, how, how many of the dogs that were selected made it? So our, our initial, uh, our initial criteria was we leaned more towards KMPV title dogs. Our first, our first—I think our first dozen dogs. Can you explain a little bit? Sure. So the the Royal Dutch National Police has a, a titling process. It's KMPV, and you know at that time in the early '90s, late '90s, it was an extremely difficult process to get your dog titled um, as a PH one title you, you didn't have a wimpy dog if he had that title it was difficult uh the the sport world in europe is completely different than it is in the united states so the gene pool of animals to pull from is very very big there and, and that's why we were pushed over there and, and you know most most of our vendors are buying dogs from europe and importing them here uh you know the, the kenny lickliders the dave reavers at adler horse you know, they're all going overseas and picking dogs. And when we started this process and, and we, we finally found these guys, we started going with them. And we would look at all of these title dogs and look at, you know, what, what, what you would call a, you know, a PH1 or a KMPV trained dog, which isn't titled, but he's got the training. And then just a straight green dog. Uh, who has you know no training whatsoever? He's just a dog. Uh, was just raised in in a kennel, you know. To and you know some of the drives that we were looking for, you know, were reinforced and built. But the title dogs, the PH ones, were were what we targeted initially, and and that seemed to work. The the problem is that process of, of getting a dog, you know, K and PV dog. Man, they're tough on them. So a lot of times you're going to get a dog with a little bit of baggage. And, and, you know, if you've ever seen the, the tiling videos on YouTube, you know, they're doing these arrow. They fly like yes, that. Yes. <laughs> and then it, they tumble like. 
they're aerobatic and, and, you know, and they're doing these great things and diving and jumping and doing and biting. And, and we thought that that was the type of dog that we needed. And as we... They're eye candy. I mean, they're more than eye candy, but it's hard to look away. I mean, it's hard not to be like a magnet to something with that level of power. So power wants power <laughs> and it's like bigger the gun bigger the dog I don't know I can well, see how that would happen <laughs> absolutely you know who wouldn't want that big 70 pound beautiful Belgian melon headed that's got you know you know these giant this big head and, and teeth clattering everywhere and going in and you can just wreck everything uh, the problem was you had to pick him up and carry him over stuff and push him into <laughs> things and lift him up and 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 also put him in a helicopter with a bunch of guys and we slowly began to find out that that's not really what we were looking for. It really wasn't what we needed. What we needed was a you know a little bit medium to smaller dog that had all the drives that we were looking for, but but had the attitude of a social gorilla, because at any given time he could be sitting in you know ten different people's laps. And uh, if you can't if you can't put him into that situation because he just wants to get in there and fight everybody. That's counterproductive, and we can't we can't have that. Um, and and you know, with the with the in the early days with the dogs, we had a bunch of friendly bites um, that that were not so friendly. That weren't so friendly. Yeah, <laughs> there were some there were some really bad ones. And uh, you know, so we had to figure out you know how to kind of train the dog not to do that when you know he spent the first three or four years of his life getting pounded and getting taught to be like that. So you know, our criteria really evolved into you know what it what actually what it is today is this that big social gorilla uh one one dog that is more just very stable super social yet has the drives that you know to run through fire if necessary to you know to, and to go in and do some pretty dynamic fantastic things as far as a dog goes um and it took you know it took the better part of 10 years to figure that out um you know we had a lot of dogs that were that were taken from us due to actions in combat, oper you know, combat operations. And um, every time something happened, you learn from it. Um, and, you know, again, in, the, in that early time period, it's unfortunately, unfortunate, but the timing again is so important, is to have a catalyst. And when we lost our first dog due to combat operations, the dog literally saved a bunch of people's lives and after that, it was, we couldn't get dogs fast enough. Um, and, you know, having guys coming back from a deployment and, you know, wanting to shake my hand and thank me and say, you know, the, if it weren't for the dog, you know, I wouldn't be here. You know, that, that kind of thing is what really institutionalizes, you know, and, and solidifies a program. Um, and, and that's what we were getting and you know and this but this is what you know the, the work that the dogs were doing but by the same token I think it's important to make the distinction that you're not just shoving dogs in there to, you're not sending them in as a decoy no right? absolutely so I think not. it's important for people because yeah. some people will say that yes we, say, we were absolutely oh, you're just throwing dogs into fire it's not no that's not true yeah we were absolutely not sending a dog into a gunfight uh, because a dog will lose a gunfight every single time. Um, it was actually the exact opposite. Is when we didn't know what was going on is when the dog was was being was being used. And and 
you know, part of part of developing these techniques and tactics and procedures for everything and you know what the dog is wearing and, and how can we use him and you know cameras became very very relative and and, and rel excuse me relevant uh you know you can't just buy a dog and train him for a few weeks and then get him out there you know, it takes time it takes time to select them it takes time to to train them, it takes time to put them, you know, to teach, to train, and to test. That's not something that happens in a short, you know, a few weeks. And to match with a handler. Right. So tell me about your handler selection. So the the big thing was uh, for us was you know uh, Manning is, is is always a problem in, in, anywhere in, in the military because there's never never ever enough people. So what we thought about was do we take these the, the operators and teach them how to be a dog handler and some of them we did and some of them are, were magnificent dog handlers that went out and did unbelievably tremendous heroic things with an animal but the other thing was to teach a dog handler how to be a specialized soldier and that was something that was a proof of concept but we had to do that as well so we went out and I, I went out and, and recruited the, the, the only real dog handlers in the military come from Lackland Air Force Base and they're military police. And that's the basically the, the, the base of all military working dogs is Lackland. And, you know, we went and spoke with them. Uh, you know, oddly enough, we took the whole uh, the whole Lackland command and brought them down, you know, to, to our place and laid out what we were doing for, you know, what we wanted and what we were doing for ourselves. And, and they looked at us and said, you know what, great, but we, we can't help you. So, you know, the, the concern was always, are they gonna get in our way? Or are they going to, you know, are they gonna be worried about a turf war? Hey, we control all the dog stuff. But, you know, again, Pat and Alan were the, you know, these super smart guys who, who just got in front of it and said, if you can do what we need, we're more than happy to work with you. But, you know, we knew deep down that they, they couldn't do anything. And I, and I think probably inviting them out and, and showing them, you know, the courtesy and the respect that we did that, look, we're not trying to do anything behind your back. We're not putting explosives on the backs of dogs and running in and cooking it off or anything like that. We're doing legitimate stuff that is far more advanced than what you were capable to produce. And, you know, they, you know, it was pretty much, man, that, that's great. Thanks for inviting us. And they went on their merry way. And, and we, you know, I, I kind of snickered and said, I, I'm going to get the best guys that you have because they're going to want to come work with us. And, and literally, I, I, we went out and found a bunch of guys. Uh, there, we had a, an initial group of four or five MPs that we brought in and we trained. And, and they became, a, you know, a, a, a dog team you know, for, for Special Operations Command, and they did very well. But, you know, uh, SOCOM is operator-concentric. Everything in SOCOM supports the operator. If you don't believe that, then, you, you know, you're, you're not in SOCOM because that's literally the truth. Uh, so sometimes the guys you know the, the, the operational guys are, are really you know open to new things and sometimes they don't want them you know near them because they haven't gone through the same training that that the operators have and we ran into that problem however you know that we we had a lot of success with guys and, and with with teams 
that wanted to use them as support because you know a lot of times they're not you know they're not entering buildings and doing close quarter battle uh you leave that up to the to the tier one guys who know how to do that but they were doing a lot of perimeter stuff a lot of bomb sweeps chasing bad guys you know going after them chasing squirters and just doing some really really good work and we needed them on the ground and they were worth their weight in gold uh we opened that process up to guys who weren't necessarily dog handlers but who were just guys who wanted to come volunteer and be a dog handler we you know we got a lot of rangers um they they're you know a, a, a very good starting point in a soldier's career in socom is a, is the go to a ranger battalion that's where i started uh and uh we we got we you know we got a lot of volunteer rangers to volunteer and at this point we basically began this program and, and we had this template in our heads in every other unit in SOCOM. And, and that's every unit in SOCOM that has a dog program mirrored it off of us. We had a, a say in something about, we didn't tell them what to do. We just told them what we did and what some do's and don'ts are and some problems that we ran into. Um, I didn't start their program for them. Um, Pat didn't start their program for them, but they came to us to learn how to do it. And they, you know, took their own guy, got their own volunteers, and we helped them and we, you know, steered them in, in, in the way that we wanted to do. So, you know, anybody that handled a dog and SOCOM handled it from a program that we began. And that that's, I'll go, I'll talk with anybody they want to about, you know, there's these guys out there that are saying that they're the, the modern day godfather of the commando dog or something like this that uh you know mpcs multi-purpose canines it's a we trained combat assault dogs that's what we call them that's why we couldn't use just normal military dogs we were asking them to do things that were way above their skill set and you know when we did that when, when we finally figured out the formula and I was able to go out and recruit uh, the better, what we, what I considered to be the best trainers out there, you know, and they were all uh, police officers. You know, most of them were either retired or senior police officers that were coming in or that were looking for something else, but were very, very, very big in the dog community. I went out and tried to hire them. Uh, and, and that's where I ran into Steve Stoops. Uh, I ran into a bunch of other guys that, that ended up you know that we ended up hiring to be dog trainers for us specifically um and it was uh you know it was the the the, the right thing to do because again law enforcement were, were the only guys that were doing what we wanted them to do we just wanted them to do it at a much higher level well and as a you know law enforcement but civilian with regard to military my perception was always it's kind of a clear-as-you-go-yard-to-yard -yard kind of war, which is what cops are doing. Right. <laughs> They're clearing yard-to-yard. -yard. It's, it's a different canine mission than, you know, it's not an aerosol. It, it was a go-in-and-get-people kind of war. It wasn't sort of battle lines kind of war. So I will, how, how, the, the comment I'll make to that is this. When you're a police canine handler, you live in whatever city you live in. 
your dog goes with you everywhere. If you've got a take-home car, he goes home with you. you. He works the same area day in, day out within your jurisdiction. Becomes very familiar with the surroundings, very comfortable with the surroundings. And, and that is such a huge advantage. Now, what we were doing is we were taking, you know, it could have been the same type of dog, putting it through the training that we needed to put it through, but we only had three, three months, six months, less than a year of acclimation, and then we're leaving again. So we would come into this place that is very difficult to simulate, first of all. Then you had to hit the ground running. There was no time for, I mean, your first operation could have been the biggest company. It just just depended on, on, you know, it was like a weather call. You just never knew. So we had to have a dog ready to go at that moment. And, and so, and, and, you know, using redundancy, having five to make four, six to make five, you know, if you have a, a, a three or four man dog team, the possibility of going through six, you know, five or six animals to get those top three dogs, that was not, that's normal. That's absolutely normal. And, and having the right dog trainer there is, uh, is just as important, it's even more important. We've made a decision to push our dog trainers forward as far as we could because, you know, a real smart guy told me one time that, that an operator is a solutionist. And, and that's really what we were doing when we were pushing our dog guys forward was we were saying, Listen, you need to see what's going on on the ground and you need to be able to come up with a solution to any problem that you see. And if you can't, you're not the right person for the job. So your trainers are essentially field Just with move, you. Yes, moving, going forward, as far forward as we can push them uh, and, you know, and strictly just solving canine problems. That is it. That's all that's going on. And we had the ability to do that. Again, when you talk about a program, one of the key factors is having the support and the logistics. We had the support to pretty much come up with, with any kind of idea that made sense. And, and that made a lot of sense, was to be able to push a guy forward who already knows the dogs, who's been training the dogs, who now is forward training the dogs. He is now able to observe problems and come up with solutions that just really save lives. And, and those solutions could be you know, a dog balking on a helicopter, we, you know, that, that was something that you have to consider. A dog being stuffed into a helicopter with 10 or 12 other people that may have bad guys in there as well. You have to, you have to solve that issue as well. Um, you know, the, the, the solutions to equipment problems um, that you're going to face that you're never going to see back here if you're CONUS, but when you go Oconus, you're going to see all kinds of problems and to be able to develop these things from there and then push it back is, you know, that, that's to me one of the more important things on the, you know, that you could ever do. So we're, you know, everything we're learning forward is being pushed back as they see it and we're able to begin to solve the problem or to help solve the problem or figure out, hey, what did you do? Let us know so we can work on it back here. Um, and that, that was, you know, that's just what we did. Um, and it's sort of, to me, it was, you know, what other logical thing would you do? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you would have to do that to be successful. And we did, and we were extremely successful. We had, you know, tons of apprehensions and tons of bomb finds and, and you know, tons of, of situations where dogs were just doing, 
you know, magical things. But, you know, to the normal naked eye, it seems like it's magic. But to the trained eye, it is just a normal, everyday occurrence for a dog. And, and, and that, that's yeah, what's can, so cool can about you, that. Can you share any, no context, no nothing, <laughs> but can you share any well, tall tales? Right? Any, <laughs> anything that's hidden. You know, anything that's hidden behind a wall, under something, there's a trap door somewhere where you're not going to find it without a dog. That's really sort of rudimentary for a dog. You know, something in a hidden wall or a false wall or a hole or something. And when you sit back and you look at it, then you, you really begin to see, oh, I see what the dog was doing because this thing was, you know, fixed. It was constructed to be able to get back into and which makes it even easier for a dog. Uh, the other thing was looking at, you know, where we were finding bad guys, where we were finding the explosive caches and coming back and looking at it and looking at it from an analytical point of view to be able to say, I'm gonna go here as soon as I get on the ground because it just fits the terrain. It fits the analysis that we're looking at. And, and, you know, you, as a dog handler, it's your job to put your dog in odor. That's it. The dog will find it. But the handler is the thinking end of the leash. So for us to be able to look at something from an analytical perspective with a little more detail with a canine in mind, it became much easier to find stuff. And, you know, it, it, it was... And all of the things that you learn about being downwind and what odor does and, and stuff like that. Uh, the, the one, I think the one fascinating, fantastic thing that, that I had was a dog, his name was Rudy. And he was one of my favorite dogs ever. Um, very, he was one of our first dogs and extremely edgy. And, and if he jumped on you and you gave him a, a, a negative you know, vibe, he was probably gonna take you. He was probably gonna snap at you. And he did that to a couple of people, but if you just kind of smacked him down and showed him that you weren't afraid, wonderful dog, wonderful drops, big head, bit, you know, bit multiple people, found multiple bombs, um, just a, a really good dog. And we were outside circling, a, they were circling, he was circling a pond, and he followed this trail and did this thing and, and jumped into this low ground and finished. And I'm looking at him in the darkness, and it's like, wow. And then, but then when you start to look at the terrain, and just to the left, there was a piece of high ground that a bunch of guys were standing on. Everybody starts looking down, and they figured out that they're standing on a weapons cache. You know, and, and the dog did exactly what he was supposed to do. He, it's like, the, the dog is just not sitting there because he was tired. He was telling us, to look at it and to look at it and say uh, there's something here and, and it did the odor went from a piece of high ground down to this low ground and it pooled and he basically just finished right in the bottom of that pool and, and it, you know we were able to you know get this great find and you know hopefully save a lot of lives because it was you know a lot of stuff in there that could do harm to the, to the people you know to us when when the dogs had I mean obviously dogs mature and they get better at what they do but did you see a level of swagger come out in them with every mission, or did you see some of them kind of say it's getting to be too much? Did you, you know, differences in that way, or did you sort of say we've got the one? He's just he's like a soldier; he just does what he does. Yeah, all of the above. Yes, we saw everything. So uh, there were dogs that were super successful, and they knew exactly what was going on as soon as they hit the ground, and they were really, really good. 
Um, unfortunately, most of those dogs died in combat. Um, and, and that's to say that they were put into dangerous situations and performed magnificently, but still, you know, as, 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 as far as a dog is concerned, you know, bullets don't discriminate. They don't care. They don't care if you got a lot of training. They don't care if you have no training. Um, but the really, really good ones, man, they took care of business. And you could just see it. They, they would come back, and they're just calm. And they knew when, you, when you're prepping and you're getting ready to go out, they're all business. And, you know, there were some that, you know, were, were probably a little bit too close to an explosion and were concussed. And you could see the change in there. And you could see that, that something was just not right. And we had to, you know, we had to go in there and, and look at that and figure out what the problem was um, because. You can't they, have a refusal. You, yes, you can't. They did, you know, if he knew he was going to go in and get shot at, he probably never worked there. We had several dogs that went in for, for that first bite and, you know, took a bullet. And, and you, you ask yourself, wow, we can, we can, you know, we can recover the dog and, and recuperate him and he'll go back to work. But, but is that trauma of being shot as you're engaging your first guy is what happens? Is, it, it, and it can't be, huh, I, I can't, I, there can't be a question mark. It's the same thing for a human. Yeah, can't be a question mark. So we did sort of see a little bit of that. You know, dogs that were really, you know, stressed out a lot. You, you saw the changes in behavior. But I will say this too, um, the... The, the medical, the veterinary uh, things that were done, we made leaps and bounds in, in some of the techniques that were used. Uh, you know, we were always told that you can't train a dog, you know, all day. Well, <laughs> I don't know who told us that because we certainly did. We didn't start that way, but we built a dog up. And, and you could see even his body. We, we had dogs that recovered from 109, 110 degree body core temperature, which is unheard of. You're getting liver failure at 103. And, and because these dogs were just so physically fit, so cared for, and, and, and we monitored everything that they did, that we were able to really push that envelope. And, uh, you know, the, the leaps and bounds that we made and the advances were just incredible. Um, and that's the same with, a, you know, with equipment. You know, body armor for dogs became very popular. Um, you know, and, and you know, we still, you know, you're still lost a did dog. Did it help a lot? I think, yeah, I think it did, absolutely. Were there, were there I, I think it did, I, I don't think it did more harm than good, be, you know, because of the extra weight. But, you know, soldiers are wearing body armor, so why not a canine soldier? Yeah, I just it's just the, the exposure on the chest is so small, well, we, and, so, and would it go through the leg? And so Absolutely. So we designed plates for everything. We had, you know, every, the, the, here's the thing too about all these guys that, uh, that, that take credit for everything. Every single person that handled a dog in SOCOM has a very interesting and unique story. And they also have contributed something that was bigger than themselves and contributed to the program. The program would not be where it is today without every single person contributing to it. So, so to say that one person did this or one person did that is absolute insanity. It's ridiculous because it took everybody to push that program to where it is. Some of us were just fortunate enough to be there early. Um, and, and some of us were, were there uh, when, you know, some really big deal happened. But you can't, no one can claim I did this and I'm the first person to do it. Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever, man.
you know, good for you. High five. And, and what about the retirements for the dogs? Well, we started, we started seeing that if your dog made it to 10 during the bad boy years, you were lucky. You know, there, there were times when, when, when we lost a lot of dogs uh, due, due to combat operations, and, and, and it was completely saddening. But uh, when you think of it about a, a dog being, you know, taken as opposed to a, a soldier, a human, they did their job. Um, we had several dogs. We started giving the handler the first right of refusal. I don't know of hardly any handler who, when given the opportunity to retire his dog, they didn't take it. I really don't know of one or two. I know there's some there's some horror stories out there about. Did some you other get dog to retire time. with any of you? I retired two. Actually, okay. did so. And what were they like in the transition? <laughs> well, so Lackland Air Force Base has a test that they do when they you know decompress a dog and when he's finished with service and you go and we went through the same testing you you know you wear a sleeve and you try and get him to bite it and he's not supposed to um the the, the transition that we saw was very very simple it was we we didn't have any problems with you know a, a dog going ballistic for no reason um there, there were some incidences i think you know um but, you know, Rudy, for example, my wife would take the dog out for a walk, and, and for some strange reason, if a car would stop and pull over to talk to her, Rudy was trying to go, jump. If the window was down, he was going in the car. Not, he, with, not for kisses. <laughs> no, and, and, and that was something that he was definitely trained to do. But I, I think when you condition a dog to do something, he, he we don't give them enough credit. You know, if they start to slow down, none of them forget how to bite. They don't forget how to find an odor. But, you know, you've got dogs that, uh, I had two of them, our first one and then, uh, and then Rudy, Argo and Rudy. I gave them a couch in my house without a problem. That was the least that I could do, you know, because they, these, you know, Argo was our first dog and we did so many things wrong with him. I was just surprised. And he, he actually lasted until he was 15 when we oh. said goodbye when he was 15. Rudy was like th almost as old and I have no idea how that dog survived. He was he was used a lot in 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 combat, and I was you know he was uh, several other people several other operators hand, dog that handled him, and uh, you know he was but I he was just my my dog from you know the first time I, I I was part of the team that bought him, yeah. you know that first group of, of dogs and he was just tremendous, absolutely tremendous and and again you know for for the the people. Or, or, or the bad guys that he bit and the bomb finds that he had, it, it, he he does he had a spot on my couch anytime, absolutely anytime, and, and never never any real problems. the The funny story I had was there was a I have what I call them welfare biscuits, <laughs> you know they're rescue dogs. Oh. <laughs> I had some rescue dogs that you know they didn't work for anything. They just sit around, run around the yard, and have fun. Um, I had. Arco and Rudy, you know, and Rudy probably ha has bitten, you know, well over dozens and dozens of people. And he's laying on the couch and this woman knocks on the door of my home and tells my what my wife answers the door and she tells my wife, what are you doing in my house? Apparently, obviously, she was just a little unstable. Well, the two commando dogs sitting on the couch didn't blink an eye, but but the the, the rescue dog, you know, came to my wife's aid and just completely went after this woman, you know, because obviously there was something wrong with her. But um, 
you know, so again, that dog earned a slot on the couch too because, you know, just animals, dogs are, you know, wonderful creatures. And, and when you're deployed, they're not just kenneled. How does that work? So when, you, when, when a dog deploys, he goes forward. There, we have kennels. We, we, we have portable kennels. We, and we even built some things, uh, some permanent kennels. Um, we, we, you know, if you're moving around a lot, obviously they're going to live in a crate for a while. But you know, they, live in the, they live in the room, the dog room with the guys, with their handlers. Um, they'll sit on the couch and watch TV with the handlers. Um, and, you know, when they go home, you know, part of the criteria for being able to retire your dog is for you to have a place for him. I mean, that's one of the, the things that, you, you know, a box you have to check. And that's part of, you know, the regular Army uh, criteria as well. You know, he, you can't send a dog home to an apartment and expect, you know, something, nothing, you know, something is probably going to happen. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I lived on a big, I had a big acre lot. So we had, a, I had a, you know, fenced in yard and, and they became regular dogs. They really did. I, I, I started, we started working with some puppies and I'd bring a puppy over and it was just, you know, nothing but four or five dogs in the backyard wrestling with each other and playing. Arco is now this gnarly eared, you know, blunt teeth, blind mouth, and, and Rudy, you know, nobody, nobody, none of the other dogs that I ever had in my yard with Rudy really ever messed with him because he, he just was just so gruffy, you know, but, you know, a, a little bitty puppy would come up and he would play bow and, you know, just do some other things. And, and then here's this big, tough, mean dog acting like a normal dog. And it, it was really interesting to see that transition happening, you know, I still always in the back of my head, always in the back of my mind, yeah, he's never going to just get let out off leash on his own in the front yard or go for a walk without a leash or, you know, maybe always carry a basket muzzle somewhere in my pocket or a medical muzzle just because. Uh, There's going to be that one trigger. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, and I never had an incident, you know, knock on wood, but I, I was so glad that, uh, that I had the opportunity to do that with those two dogs because it, it was so much fun. Uh, it was just so much fun. Anything, any other tips or thoughts or? Um, no, uh, well, okay, so. Parting this, thoughts? So to recap it, you know, and I said this already, there are so many people that, that, that worked that canine program. And, and the real program actually began prior to 9-11. There is not one unit in SOCOM that had a dog prior to 9-11, had a dog program prior to 9-11, except us, Army Special Operations Command. Um, everybody else, it was after 9-11. And, and that, that's not disputable. That's not a, a, a misnomer or a rumor. That's a fact. And, and the other fact is that everybody that was in that program to include every dog trainer, to include every dog handler, to include every dog whatever, ops guys, every single one of them contributed to, to, to the totality of that program. And, and I think after, you know, from say 2000 to 2010, the, that whole decade of SOCOM is, is you know, the, the dog programs, I believe are the templates and the best startup programs of that decade for that particular conflict because they did so much good stuff, you know, saved so many lives. 
and, and created you know so many so many cool bonds and you know pet and owner you know stuff but it, it went much more than that and there were a lot of guys when they lost their dog I, I was I, I was witness to a bunch of them and, and it was really really hard on the dog handler and, and I, I have nothing but high praise for everybody who was in that program for everybody who contributed to that program and, and, and you know nothing but thanks and gratitude and, and honor to have been able to be a part of it yeah it seems very trivial to say thank you it is trivial to say thank you. No, it's you're so, welcome. It's so monumental. It's just, it's it's such a devotion. It's such a, a lifestyle devotion to give that much. And then you, the dogs, the dogs don't know they're doing it, but frankly, they're not built for anything else. They just aren't. It's not work they when you're doing They wouldn't be happy. It's right? not work when you're doing something you love. Yeah. I think we'll leave it at that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks everyone for listening, and if you'd like to know more about American Tactical Aggregate K9, please head over to the show notes for links to the website and social media sites. Check them out, like and follow. Also, if you're enjoying these interviews, please don't forget to leave a kind review for K9 Top Tales. Thanks everyone, and stay safe.